right, welcome to Operator Radio. Today, Culture Radio from uh, the Internet International Film Festival of Rotterdam. And uh, we got two guests here. The leg- none other than the legendary Don Letts and uh, the filmmaker of the documentary about Don Letts, Rebel Dread, mm-hmm. William E. Batchley. Yep. All right. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, and uh, taking the time to visit Operator Radio. In Thanks Rotterdam. for having us. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Good. Good. Um, now, of course, you both are... Can you here. swear on Operator Radio? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> okay, it's not that I want to, but it just came to me that I might, something might come out. But okay, good. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> We're on the internet, so yeah, different rules. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, you are here to promote Rebel Dread. Uh, how did this movie came into existence? Over to Bill, the director. <laughs> okay. uh, so uh, my, this is my third film. The second film was uh, Feature Doc on the Slits. Ah. And uh, I made that film uh, with Phil, who's right here. Um, and so when it was done, you know, Phil kind of, uh, you know, he's been friends and a fan of Don for a really long time. And he'd been wanting to do this for, I think, probably quite a long time. And was like, you know, I want to do this. Do you want to do it? And of course, it was immediately like, absolutely. Because I met Don during the Slits film. Yeah. Since Don... You managed the... I tried to manage. I mean, people say I'm a manager, but basically I gave them some money to go on tour with The Clash, the White Riot Tour. Yeah. And at the end of that three months or two months or whatever it was, I decided that they were definitely unmanageable. But, all right. But truly, this Rebel Dread project is really a producer's passion project. Absolutely. Because if it wasn't for Phil's passion, it wouldn't exist. Mm. So if you don't like it, you've got Phil to blame. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, it's uh, maybe it's difficult to pinpoint what you do, uh, Mister. Yeah, Lutz. what have you got? What have you got today? Fil- filmmaker, DJ. I'm primarily. I can. I consider myself to be primarily a filmmaker, but there's lots mm. of gaps where you're not making films. So I need to supplement my income, like most creative people. And I've also got a show on uh, ra- uh, BBC Radio. I've had mm-hmm. for ten years called Culture Clash Radio. I DJ nationally and internationally. Recently entered the world of podcasts. I mean, the bottom line is I live in London. I've got two teen- teenage kids and they're bloody expensive. <laughs> so I create to survive. <laughs> so from the start on, you had a, a, a vital role in the London music scene. An accidental role, actually. An-, An accidental role. What happened was I got the gig to DJ at the Lon- London's very first punk rock club. It was called The Roxy. Mm. And this was so early in the scene that there were no punk records to play. No English ones anyway. So mm. I played what I like. I played hardcore dub reggae. Lucky for me, the punk seemed to love it. And uh, a kind of bond was formed between these two genres that led to something called the punky reggae party, which is all yeah. about the exchange of culture, really. And, you know, like I said, accidentally I got the gig to DJ. And, uh, yeah, it all happened by chance, man. As yeah. most beautiful things do. So culture is a word which uh, pops up a lot in the documentary uh, on different levels. Um, what uh, your your radio show every level except a petri dish. <laughs> yes, now it is the thing that makes up yogurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what? Uh, how would you say that the sort of the Jamaican roots and um, uh, the because we get a, a small insight into the uh, Jamaican community in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you contribute that to in? in sort of the, the, the goings towards the punk scene? Oh, that's easy. I mean, although musically they're sonically miles apart, mm-hmm. spiritually we were like-minded rebels. You know, we were sort of 
both sort of outsiders, and we came together through, yeah, a mutual respect of each other's culture. I like the whole punk DIY thing. They loved the heavy bass lines, and they didn't mind the weed either, it has to be said. I mean, I think what we're really talking about is the power of culture to unite the people and make the world a slightly better place, man. Yeah, you know? because you mentioned that there were sort of like no racial tensions in Brixton. Not really, not before the politicians got involved. Right. You know, when the people were left to their own devices, they worked things out. When the politicians decided that they need to, um, what is it, divide and rule, mm. you know, people like uh, Enoch Powell made a famous speech, the Rivers yeah. of Blood speech. In fact, yeah. it's very similar to what's going on now with Trump, divide and rule, blame the immigrants, you know, and get rid of them and everything will be solved. Not true. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and in, in Britain, of course, you've got uh, Brexit going on. We've got Brexit, uh, we've got the, not the National Front, what are they call now, the British Defence yeah. League and all, you know, it's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke. Brexit's a joke. The English are fucking stupid. <laughs> Swear word <Yeah>. number one. <laughs> Bill, was this important as well for your, for your view uh, on, say, uh, Mr. Let's Now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was really interesting to me the whole the whole idea that you know the fusion, other than you know just the musicality. I think anytime there is an important fusion in music, mm -hmm. it is like you know Donald was saying like due to a vibe, like something deeper. Like the chord structures are not the thing that's you know the thing that sits on top is not going to be the thing that brings people together. The heart is the thing that's going to bring people together. And I thought it was really interesting, you know, talking about. A culture that already had a substantial knowledge of how to operate uh, in terms of limited resources and to yeah. band together and accomplish things and have that strength and it was really a strength that they could immediately lend mm. to you know i think the kids that would eventually became you know known as punks yeah to you know to say hey like you could just like pick this up but i also see uh what i thought was really cool is that it becomes reciprocal too of like Uh, watch the Jamaican kids watching uh, the young British kids be so brave yeah. and kind of being like, oh shit, we could be a little bit more brave too and we could keep walking out and, you know, keep doing it. So it's not like it was just one-sided. It's like any great, you know, union and coming together, it was, you know, even. Yeah. We were egging each other on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, what I find interesting about, you know, culture is that it can lead to subcultures And it also has this sort of symbolism, um, which narrows something uh, down. For instance, when you think of punk culture, yeah. you know, the, the, the safety pin, some, some small object. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a know? mistake, though, to reduce <laughs> punk to a safety pin. Listen, no, no, punk, no, 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 no. You know, I, I don't want to reduce it, but it says yeah. it, it's, it, it stands for something. It's, a, it's an image which is recognizable. Right? I mean, you can identify yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a great believer that every generation needs its own soundtrack. And along with that soundtrack comes the imagery and the style and the fashion. Mm. And you're right, every generation needs that, their own expression of that. Yeah, but it sort of disappeared. It's funny you should say that because, you know, in the last half of the 20th century, England keep th kept throwing up these different subcultures. Mm. Teddy boys, yeah. mods, yeah, skinheads. You were, you, you were known as a freak? Is that correct? Uh, well, free. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that a That's subculture? That's more generic. That was no, a generic term because I wasn't prepared to be defined by my color. So I was always the freak in right. my area. But what I'm saying is, yeah, the last half of the 20th century, England threw up all these different subcultures. And then when the millennium happens, the whole mm. thing flatlines. Yeah. You know, they literally cease to exist. And I maintain that's something to do with the advent of the digital age and the internet. 
Because yeah. no longer did you have to, have to um, meet a friend around the corner or in a record shop or in a club to start a subculture. You could connect with them through your laptop and through your screen. So that killed the necessity to form these little style-driven mm. yeah. subcultures. Because yeah. subculture is by no means dead. That would be a really <laughs> stupid thing to say. It just doesn't look as good. You know. <laughs> Do you agree with that, Bill? That's well, that's well dressed. <laughs> that's well dressed. Yeah. It's well nice. Yeah. Like, come on, a mixtape. You look at a mixtape, it's a really beautiful thing to look at. It's got a cover. You look at your playlist on a laptop. Oh. Not very sexy. Mm. Not the same, is it? No. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, what, um, uh, you named a few other subcultures, right? Uh, Teddy Boys. Oh, man, we got shitload in England. What do you got? Two-tone, Teddy Boys, oh, mods, you, you skinheads. Yeah. Skinheads. Could you please elaborate on that? Because Well, the skinheads are an interesting one because yeah. what most people don't know is that it started out in the UK in around 1968 as the first multicultural movement in the UK. That is, it was a mashup of sort of poor white working class mods and Jamaican rude boys. And it was a mashup of those yeah. two things. Five years later, the movement gets hijacked by a right-wing group called the National Front. This is the group that the media decides to uh, report on. This idea of skinhead gets disseminated around the world. And all of a sudden, it's a racist thing, mm. which it never was. You know, and yeah. it's a great shame because it did start out as a real, a really beautiful thing. And again, a testament to the power of culture. But it got hijacked by the right wing man. Right. And right. If, today, if you do see a skinhead, he's more likely to be a right wing motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> But there are plenty that ain't. So, um, would you, um, uh, you started working at Acme Attractions. That's a long time ago, but yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. 75, yeah. Did you already have style influences before you started working there, or did you gain... Hell yeah! I'm a Jamaican! <laughs> style is in our DNA, and it's not only being a Jamaican, it's a working class thing. You've got to understand, you know, a lot of these movements in the UK were driven by the whole class structure. You know, we can't um, compete with the middle and upper class through the car we buy or the house right. we buy, but we can through the clothes we wear and the music that we listen to. And that's mm. why that combination in the UK became such a powerful thing, because it's the only means of expression and identity that a working class kid could access. Mm. Could could you identify yourself with that as well? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know, it's interesting. Like you know, you if you're grappling for a place, you know, you use what you have available. And I, I like what Don was saying in the sense that you know, you you control what you can control. You can control this. Mm, sort of yeah. reminds me of graffiti. It's like you're powerless in a system that's everywhere all around you, but you can walk up to it and you can put your hand on it. Yeah, make you know, it. Yeah. Paint it. Yeah. So you do that, you know, yeah. and you put your mark on it. It's and then punk you rock. Were there. Yeah, yeah, you use what you you're got no to get what you need. Release, re erased. Yeah. What they call the do-it-yourself culture, right? I think yeah. that's punk rock's greatest gift, to be honest, the whole DIY thing. I mean, if it wasn't for their inspiration, I might well have not picked up my Super 8 camera. And that's where it started. That's where it started eight. for me. You know, I saw the punks picking up guitars. I wanted to pick up something too. I picked up a Super 8 camera and reinvented myself as Don Letts, the filmmaker. Um, what spoke to you uh, in, um, say, culture-wise, the music you listened to? Well, back in the day? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm old, man. I'm as old as rock and roll. I was born in 1956. So, you know, I started off, you know, my entrance into music was like the Stones, the Kinks, the Who... Led Zeppelin, The Beatles. I was mad on The Beatles. And the very first yeah. live show I ever saw 
was The Who in 1971 doing a dress rehearsal for The Who's next tour. And it was the most mind-blowing thing I'd ever seen to this day, actually. I mean, that was my first entrance into the whole world of rock and roll. And then I guess the next big step would have been seeing Bob Marley play the Lyceum in like 76 or something. But um, I think, you know, as I said earlier, I don't like to be defined by, I refuse to be defined by my colour. So if something spoke to me, mm. I embraced it. And that's why my black brothers called me a freak. You know, mm. they were like, Don Let's, why are you listening to Led Zeppelin? That's white man <laughs> music. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it speaks to me. I'm going to listen to it, you know. But this became... Later on, this became this sort of like rock versus disco thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, I mean, there's that, yeah, that always... tribalism, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the only people that listen to one kind of music are stupid 10-year-olds. You know, any intelligent p person, if you go around anybody's house, I guess if you look through their collection, they're going to have a mix of music, you know? Yeah. yeah. Did you also had uh, sort of a filmmaker influence uh, um, growing up or? Uh... Oh, how do you mean? Through your inspirations, well, oh. yeah, filmmakers. Oh, man. Like, for Doc specifically, I got, like, immediately, like, really wild, you know, about the Maisels, of mm. course, you know. Those guys were absolutely huge. I mean, I think in a weird way, um, they probably accidentally helped invent reality television, you know, <laughs> because of their whole sort of philosophy, which I'm sure would just spin them over in their graves. I think they're both dead now, but, you know, it's just this idea that, that uh, cinema is already happening. Like, you don't have to go out and set it up. Uh, <laughs> like right. it's it's already occurring yeah. and like perhaps you could just stand there uh i'm a big story guy i love sentences that's my main thing and um it's really interesting to me this style of narrative that they developed uh which was the absolute hardest story uh style to tell which is the what they call the emotional arc mm. you know which is like um uh making an arc that someone can follow out of just occurrences that are just organically it's developing defect. yeah it's the you cannot you cannot fake that that is the mm. hardest form of narrative uh to form so yeah i love those guys they're amazing but i have to say their editor the real person that developed it was female and you don't hear about her as much as you should yeah i Maybe. don't remember her name oh shit, that's terrible man <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, to to kind of like shoot all this stuff and go, we have this idea to invent this new style of narrative is one thing, but to pull it off is an entirely another thing. And the editor is the person that did that, did that, you know. And that's why they get Oscars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're looking at um, uh, culture these days, um, specifically, maybe taking a, a example like Notting Hill Carnival, uh, does that change? Hey man, what doesn't? I mean, you know, it's no longer the... Um, I mean, when it started, it was a representation of black people's culture and how we felt living in the UK back in the... It actually started in the late 50s, believe it or not. Yeah. But took to the streets in the mid-60s. Yeah. And it was very much a black expression. In the 21st century, all tribes are welcome. And it kind of reflects, I guess, the multicultural mix that's, that makes London so interesting. You yeah. know, I, I believe it's by embracing all these different cultures that will actually make Britain great again, not through fucking things like Brexit, you know. Yeah, but does, it does seem like we, we sort of divide or we get divided, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and yet there is a need for a, a, a cultural stable factor. Who is it? Was it the Russians are quite 
were saying that what is it? I think they had this thing where you know they said the way to a, pe- a person's heart is through culture. Yeah, and they understood the power of culture to kind of bring people together and let them you know express how they feel or whatever. And uh, you know, in today's celebrity-driven culture, that all seems to have disappeared. You know, it's funny. I was thinking the other day. Remember, was it Andy Warhol? And that's, he used to say he said that in the future, mm, everyone will be famous for fifteen minutes. That's he dreamt that he dreamt. Yeah, everyone will be famous for fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. And you fast forward to now, and it's like his dream has become a nightmare of people that can't <laughs> justify three. A true you nightmare. Know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But can you see then this sort of like this maybe this famousness or uh, do-it-yourself culture as uh, as being represented in social media, YouTube? Uh, Man, that's a trick question. Listen, 90% of social media is bullshit, but there are people that do mm. really brilliant things with that. I mean, you know, the, the problem with modern technology in the digital age isn't the technology, it's the people and what they do with it. You know, there's plenty of examples around the world where Facebook and Twitter have been life-saving devices, you know, um, off the top of my, I don't know, the Arab Spring, you know, that's yeah. how people organise and that's how they let people know what was going on. It's mm. not technology's fault that in the West, people are taking pictures of their what we've just ate and they're fucking ugly kids. That's not technology's fault. You know, basically, Don Let says, technology's great, people are shit. That's the problem. <laughs> that is the problem. Trademark. Yeah. Well, it's true. It's true, man. You know, t- t- technology is a beautiful thing, but what we do with it, oh my God. So how do you think then about something like the either the capitalization of culture or the appropriation oh, of culture? That's the other one, out of the 21st century. Bill, the appropriation of culture. <laughs> You don't like talking about it? No, it's just a weird one, man, because that's very it's very much in vogue. And you know what? It's a worthwhile conversation because there's no two ways about it. There is an undoubted um, disparity between the exploitation of culture mm. and the rewards that people yeah. get out of that. Um, uh, Jamaica and reggae comes to mind. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the whole um, evolution of creativity is about people being inspired by a different culture. And I think it's down to the individual to work out if what they're dealing with is... What was it we're talking about? Exploitation or inspiration? Mm. That's the dividing line. You know, and lots of things are inspired by different cultures. And at the same time, you know, hand in hand, there's businesses that will always exploit that. And those two things have always gone hand in hand. And that's not to say that we shouldn't raise our hand and call things out when they are shit and they are taking advantage. You know what I mean? But don't be kind of putting everything under that umbrella of exploitation. It doesn't work. Absolutely. I mean, it's good to be respectful, but also you have to be able to absorb or we're not going to come together. Yeah, or move things forward, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very Brazilian way of thinking. Brazilians have this in their culture. It's a global way of thinking. The only way forward, man. It's all of us or none of us, really. It's the only way we're going to go forward. Yeah, yeah. Good. So what I noticed in the movie was that there were two moments where... Uh, you were doubting or confronted with your own culture. That was the moment where you met your grandparents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the moment you went to Africa. Africa. You can say, yeah. yeah, fuck me up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's interesting. You know, you grow up in England and you're surrounded by reggae music and you're eating your Jamaican food and you're talking the lingo and you think you're a Jamaican. And it's only when I went there in 1978 with Johnny Rotten for the first time that. I realized that I was obviously something different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't yeah. deny my British roots that were very much a part of who I am. And I'm very proud of that part. I'm glad that I'm into the Stones and the Beatles and big fat Ze- Le- Zeppelin rips, riffs and the Clash and the Who and, you know, Pistols. That's made me who I am today. Um, 
And it, yeah, it wasn't until I went, and before that, before I went to Jamaica, it was like, yeah, I want to go back to my roots. I want to go back to my roots. And I think that trip, that trip made me realize my roots were where I, where I was. Right. Right there right in the there. UK. That's where, yeah. That was my roots, man. And to yeah. pretend anything else was ridiculous, as I said in the film, actually. So did you notice that? What's as that? As well, t- when talking to uh, Mr. Letts about this. Oh, yeah. That's why we put it in there. Yeah, I know, I know that. That's the end result. But I mean, I, you did have some conversation about this, probably. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was like, uh, you know, it was. Um, I think clear from the very beginning, you know, that the sort of, uh, you know, wider sort of macro arc of what was going on, and the thing that really like appealed to me about the story was that you always try to find something that's central, you know, that anybody can sort of grab onto. And the the first thing that I sort of saw. And grabbed onto there was that like this is a really great story about a young man who's trying to find himself in yeah. a complicated situation. Yeah. And is walking around and seeing himself reflected in all these different glasses and saying, like anyone does who lives their life, uh, you know, is that like you see bits of pieces and you go, what is me and what isn't me? And that's how, you know, a person that eventually becomes a self-actualized person finds themselves and becomes something that one could consider to be whole. And so, you know, we Uh-oh. knew the movie was going to be fun and do all this cult, you know, stuff with music and stuff. But on a wider sort of level, you want to, you know, as a filmmaker, you want to try to find that thing that uni- unites all the pieces. And so that was sort of one of the things. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I also noticed was that during an interview, you say uh, you have a voice, stand up and be counted. I didn't say that. Isn't that James Brown or somebody? Or maybe no. I just stole it. Did I say that? You yeah, said you in an in interview in with the, interview. the Italian film crew. Oh, I did? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you took it from somebody, but you yeah, said it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, stand up. You have a voice. Stand up. <laughs> I mean, maybe I was, what's it called? A re-quoting. But it doesn't sound like, yeah, stand up and be counted. Definitely doesn't sound like a, I like original. Something. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like, yeah, James Brown or. I Dick, did, I did oh. find it fitting for you seeing the movie. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. It's something which, because you also refer to yourself as a, um, a black and British thing, which black I, and which, British, yeah. which has shocked me a bit. Why? It's, it's, it looks so narrow, narrow-minded or something. Or black and British is narrow-minded. If you understand and, no, the no, reach no. that that has, it's exactly no, no, no. the opposite. Yeah, go on. Black and British thing. Uh, yeah, I think you're hanging on to the, me just throwing away words. I yeah. think the thing. I just I probably said something that yeah, it was a black and British thing. You, the black well, and British, a, the, a, the black and British was the p- bit you're supposed to hear. The thing was just like a little <laughs> adage. But I, I can tell you how I interpreted that. I actually really liked that word uh, because what I took out of it was that um, it was a thing that wasn't fully defined yet. It was mm. still the kind of thing because I've heard you guys talk a lot about how that time it's period was still trying to figure it out. Like, what is this? Yeah, you know, like when you talked about Jazzy being soul right. to soul, right. you know, yeah. it was like a big yeah. conversation about like, you know, this thing hasn't gotten to a thing where we can put our finger on it and go, it's exactly this. Absolutely, so right. it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> and right. it took a long. Like, it yeah. Basically, it took a bloody long time for being black and British to mean something because before it meant something, we were thinking we were like Jamaican or African or wherever our roots were, but then we realized no, we are for better or worse, we are this thing that is British, black, black British, whatever you want to call it. Right. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
say uh, you you also say like um, you're working from this a- is what they're going to do when they say the film they're going to keep saying you said this and you said that <laughs> and I change my mind every other day it's funny because I'm quite daunted by it this is the first screening of Bill's film oh right you know what I mean and yeah. when they enter this project I'm saying like guys are you sure do I really deserve this space and anyway they convinced me that I did and here we are yeah. for the first screening and now I'm beginning to see what's about to come yeah Don you said this Don you said you know, that so we, we did an in progress screening in LA and one we did a survey I'd never done it before yeah. I really enjoyed doing it I'd definitely do it again but one of the questions was do you think this is a story worth telling and it was oh. one of our highest scoring yeah. I don't think I ever told you that but it was one of our highest scoring uh, you've heard it here points first. <laughs> on the survey well I, I can, uh, uh, next to do you like Don <laughs> is that a question? That's you, a question. Or yeah, that? I wanted to know if people liked you in the. I guess in yeah. The film. I guess it's relevant. You know, if you don't, I was yeah. like, "Do you like Don?" Was one of the questions, and that was a really high scoring one. And then the yeah, the other yeah was just I, like, "Is this worth yeah. doing?" Is yeah, this worth and telling? I can, yeah, I can relate to that answer because when you see what Mr. Let's has done, mm-hmm. music videos, uh, the films, uh, such a huge part documentaries. Of Do- yeah, documentaries as well. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it's especially the music videos. Rock the Cash Bar. No, well, I'm a, a huge fan of The Clash, yeah. first and foremost. But then, you know, seeing this video, knowing now that you made this. Yeah, yeah I did it, all The Clash videos, actually. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. In fact, London Calling was my very first one. Yeah, it's in the, in the documentary as yes, well. Yes, I yeah, think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, tonight you, when I see it, it's going to be the first time I'm seeing it on a big screen properly. Oh, right. So, yeah. Well, Good sound. Everything. We've got everything, you know, colorized and the whole trip. Yeah. But you're also doing a Q&A afterwards, right? I believe so. And people are going to go, Don, you just said this. Don, you said that. Shit. <laughs> I think that will be nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, uh, I wanted to ask you a question about, you said, I'm almost working from a fire in my belly. I said that? Oh, Say no. It. Andy, uh, Andy okay, Oliver yeah. says it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. you were also working from sort of some some sort of instinct, maybe. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely instinct driven. Totally. I never went to film school. Never did any kind of creative training. I never re- even read the instructions that came with my first camera. Mm. So everything is instinctively driven. I tried to, <laughs> you know. Um, Joe Strummer said, you know, the only way to come up with an original idea is to kind of remove your brain from the equation. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. I tell yeah. you, it was a similar thing. Orson Welles once said, if you want to make a truly original film. Don't watch films. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can kind of dig it. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. yeah. We have work upon a few things. Notice something, but you do have to have a feeling for what is happening or what, Absolutely. what, yeah. what, what can go. Because, yeah, otherwise you might miss something or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. There's two sides of that argument. Because people like, I don't know, Spielberg and Scorsese are totally educated by film and TV. You know what I mean? So mm. different yeah. strengths. And I had I had a question about where you, well, where you sort of you get your influence from, and what was uh, sort of the the major quality that you had beginning in in the beginning before working at Acme Attractions. The major quality that I had before yeah, that, working, w- w- which which leads you to have such a important role in the music industry or in the culture mm. industry, mm. because I think that's a hard one. Man, I'd have to say I just got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that's. I don't know. I think that's exactly the point. Mate, yeah, but that, that's, a, that's a bit abstract as well. But it works for me, obviously. But um, yeah, I couldn't put my finger on that. I mean, maybe if I could, I'd be a fraud. Mm. Maybe I don't know. 
you know, I have a little take on this too, just from uh, getting yeah. to know Don and stuff and obviously knowing the story is that one of the things I noticed about him just like as a person, it, just like meeting him, you know, uh, through the Slits film was that Don really will like reach across the situation in a way that a lot of people won't. And I think when you don't do that, uh, it causes you to sort of naturally slip into the background, yeah. which is someplace I never really see Don going. Like, you know, Don will like verbally, he's, um, you know, I don't even want to use the word aggressive, but, you know, he's Sorry. he's going to reach through and he's going to get to you and he's going to find out what your reaction is. And by doing that, he's going to find out who you are. And then all of a sudden you're accidentally having a real conversation and yeah. a real interaction. And I think people that like truth and they like reality respond to that. And it becomes a situation where, you know, other people that are seeking that in their own lives uh, recognize this person truth. as someone. Yeah. So where someone like Don could even just collect people on the sidewalk accidentally, I think. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. also in the documentary. You bumped into Joe Strummer at uh, Times yeah, Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who that's bumped true. into Joe Strummer <laughs> at Times Square? <laughs> Funny on. enough, when it comes to Joe, say? a lot of people. <laughs> uh, I think you said in the BBC, uh, in the in the podcast thing, that maybe he, like years later, you were like, maybe he planned that. Where yeah, he yeah, might be hanging out. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, laying yeah. in wait to try to get it on that session. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he wanted to get back with Mick, yeah. I love that idea that he's like sitting there Lurking outside the studio <laughs> waiting, <laughs> waiting, yeah, waiting for me to be able to drag him in. Which uh, which of the bands was the uh, was for you the, the most exciting to work with? Oh, they all had their qualities, man. Yeah. I mean, that's why they were the clash. Mm. I mean, obviously Topper was in his own space and I had, a, a, you know, the least of my relations were with Topper for somewhat obvious and well-documented reasons. <laughs> But Mick and I, obviously, we did Big Audio Dynamite together, so we were yep. very close from that perspective. Paul and I sh shared very similar backgrounds. He grew up in Brixton as a skinhead. And mm. his whole thing is being into reggae and all that, and style and fashion. I mean, he's totally responsible for the whole look of the clash. You know? right. And uh, Joe, hey, God, what can you say about Strummer, man? <sighs> you know, he's one of these people that come along once every decade, you know, like your Woody Guthrie's and your John Lennon's and your Dylan's and your Chuck. D's and your Gil Scott Herons. Sadly missing in the 21st century, actually. Yeah. You know, again, like you've gone yeah. back to that thing you said about things flatlining. And in yeah. the 21st century, for whatever reason, we don't seem to be throwing up these kind of characters. What are we, 20 years in to fucking the 20? Yeah, man, it's disgusting. Who's the bad, who's the baddest boy in 21st century? Who is yeah. it? Who is it? <laughs> Justin Bieber, right? Or something, you know, but you know, nah, bad. Would, oh, no, 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 he's a dick, I, obviously. Yeah. But I'm saying, no, who is, who is the rebel? In the 20th century, 21st century. Hey, I would rhetoric, look at, rhetorical question. Yeah. I'll just throw that out to the listeners of Rotterdam. Fill, yeah. fill it in yourself. Comment on, fa yeah. comment on the Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would. Who are the real bad boys of the 21st century? I would Don't look into the, uh, in the uh, trap music genre. I would look there. Uh, yeah. I'm a there bad. are some, there's some bad boys there. Yeah, but bad, the wrong, the wrong <laughs> definition of bad. And also, I, I can't it. take people shouting at men shouting at me all day long. I can't take that anymore. You know what I mean? No. I like a, no, I like a bit of melody and things. Yeah, geezers, anything that's too many men drives me mad. I'm, 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 I'm more in touch with my feminine side. You know, but mate, I don't know much about trap. I'm 64 years old. That music ain't for me. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, it's yeah. another, it's another, Some... it's another generation's la language. Yeah, also for me. Yeah, hey. <laughs> it's all about taste. Lucky I got yeah. some. <laughs> so, um, this, uh, well, you, you're having the screening now at the film festival. Yep. Did yeah. you ever been to Rotterdam? 
Yeah, this is actually my second time here because we premiered. Uh, we did the international premiere of the Slits film here to be heard here yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, two years ago. So I missed like, a year, but yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah, absolutely. It was really nice. It's why it's, are there so many fucking McDonald's here, man? Is that my imagination? Know. Like round here's like ten McDonald's, no, and, and lots of sneaker shops. Yeah, that's tons true. of sneaker shops. Yeah, but not. Very good you ones. guys, Rotterdam people walk if, a lot? Is that it? What the hell? No, what? there's a lot of sneaker culture here. Okay. Mm. I've just been walking so. around all this. McDonald's sneakers. McDonald's sneakers. <laughs> anyway. No, there are not that many McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen four. There's four within like a, a five minute walk around here. All right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm in the wrong area, but yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever been to Rotterdam? No. No. This is your first time here? I think so. I mean, my memories. BAD's never played here, right? I know we played in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I'm not familiar with this town at all. Yeah. Uh, for how long did you play with BAD? Eight years, I think. Wasn't eight it about years? eight years? Yeah. yeah. First four yeah. albums. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have fun during that time? Absolutely, man. I mean, for a guy that can't play a musical instrument, it was a buzz <laughs> to have written, you know, because four you albums. Because you were responsible for the sampling? Sampling. Well, yeah. I, I basically, when I started, I wanted to feel like I was contributing, but I couldn't play an instrument. So mm. I did all that sample and dialogue stuff. Yeah. But I quickly realized you don't get paid for stealing other people's ideas. <laughs> so quickly threw myself into writing lyrics with Mick's help. And, you know, I co-wrote 50% of the songs with Mick. And I'm really proud of that shit. Really proud of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think last year you had a collaboration with Noah, clothing brand. Oh, you know that? Yeah, there yeah. was some collab thing where they put out, basically it was a merchandising thing. I mean, I would have much but preferred, again, I would have is, preferred if some new music had got out. That's more interesting to me. But if it, it shines a light on something that I think is worth shining a light on, but I would say that, then yeah, it's all good. Yeah, they did a mixtape. They did? Yeah. You're kidding? Mm. Well, with B.A. I'll send you the link. You're kidding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they slipped that uh, one by us. But this is no, something... it's all good. That, now we're coming back to the, the capitalization of culture. Mm -hmm. It is something you agree on because I I know that um, I forgot his name, but the artist who did the artwork for the Dead Kennedys, uh, oh, uh, Winston. I don't remember either, but I know you're talking something about something with Winston. Yeah. Uh, he's getting really upset with brands using his images, uh, sort of like, yeah. But well, that's exploitation, right? See, that's the difference. It's easy. I mean, it's quite an easy thing to, you know, to see whether one and, something is inspired or is just ripping off something. You know, it's yeah. easy. I mean, there's a huge thing with that with Betty Page when she like whacked out and disappeared and tried to kill those people and then showed up like years later and uh you know there was just everywhere yeah. like her image just absolutely everywhere and she wasn't of course seeing like you know dime one um i think she ended up did getting like a little piece of that and uh giving it to i think her sister's kids but in the, uh, yeah, well, it's a huge uh, thing but in the yeah. digital age it's really hard to stop that man you know it's really hard yeah i mean the clash know all about that i mean you know half the t-shirts you see are bootlegs yeah. Although they do say imitation is the greatest form of flattery, you know. Um, what's next? For oh you? man, well uh, I don't I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about it, but we are working on. Uh, you don't have to. Yeah, we're working on something I'm very excited about. Um, should be should be a lot of fun. Is that vague enough? <laughs> yeah, that's vague enough. Go to, maybe narrow it down to certain. Culture music. Uh, okay, so yeah, so still music, but touching into true crime. I sort of accidentally became obsessed with true crime recently. Um, okay, I so it was like 
a really like slippery slope. Like somebody was like, oh, I should listen to this podcast. I never cared about serial killers my entire life. Mm. Uh, my sister was always into it. And so he's like, oh, I should listen to this true crime podcast. And it was a year and a half ago. And I've listened to 65 different series now. And I'm working on one that's coming up and it's related to the project that I'm hinting at. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a weird uh, kind of project because it's literally like a bridge because it still is music as well. Ah, cool. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> and for you, sir? Me, I'm in negotiations with an outfit called um, Afropunk. I don't know if you're aware of them. It's a, it started off as a sort of movement and now has evolved into a massive festival that tours around the world. And again, it's about, um, hey, again, going back to the thing about black people that are not being defined by their color. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm in negotiations to do a doc about that. Oh, and I've still got my radio show and I'm still DJing and all the rest of it. Great. Tonight, in fact. Oh, DJing. yeah. You're DJing tonight. I'm DJing here tonight, but my radio show tonight is a pre record. It's actually called Culture Clash Radio. And it's yeah. every Sunday night, 10 till 12 on BBC Six Music. And you can download it and listen to it at your convenience. <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk to the BBC. Uh... No, you can just download it on the internet. You just download it. It's what do you call it? I play a shit. And again, we oh, should yeah. definitely thank Phil again because seriously, this was all his entire idea uh, for us to do this, and he's the one that put it all into motion. Who I so, first, who I first met as a BAD fan when he was a young, uh, like a young teenager. Wow. I, w I was, uh, I left school at sixteen, became a photographer. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, being a massive fan of The Clash and BAD formed, I was like, right, I've got to meet them. So I started, like, photographing their gigs and just stuck around for many years. And uh, and it was actually, you know, there's people in one's life who really make a difference. And Don was one of them who, like, he'd see my Super 8 stuff and really mm -hmm. encouraged me. And so, you know, I, I, I took the, uh, I went from being a stills photographer into movies in the late 90s and I've done over 300 movies as a producer or executive producer <laughs> so thanks Don and I also have to say that um, this is uh, probably one of the most important films in my repertoire so yeah thanks. Damn. and he's just producing something oh no I was about to give away who well, you would work on your next <laughs> film with I would say yeah <laughs> well Depp yeah and all that uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 loads yeah, yeah, of, yeah. there's loads of big movies but this is the mo far more interesting and important one he said it's a little movie with a big heart. There you go. Rebel Dread. Rebel Dread. Signing off, I believe. We are, indeed. <laughs> so, uh, if you have the chance, do watch Rebel Dread uh, at the film festival at 8 o'clock tonight. But there are... And it's free, apparently. Yeah. yeah. And, and Don, there's a Q&A and Don's doing a DJ set straight after the film. So, and where is it at? Do you know the location? It's the... It, yeah, it's, um, it is, I'm just opening it up right now. It is at... The theater? The Schouwburg. Schouwburg. Yes, yes, that's Schouwburg. it. Yeah, yes. I can't pronounce Rotterdam it. Schouwburg, Grote Zaal, uh, Kleine Zaal, excuse. Right. Eight o'clock, right. yeah. Eight o'clock. Okay, thank you so very thank much you. for being here. For spending time with us. Uh, a lot of success on your, your further endeavors. Thank, thank you, you appreciate that. And uh, hopefully till next time. Thanks for All the right. airspace. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, man.